0: guy adami here always joined by dan nathan this is the market call 1 p.m eastern time suckers we're putting 30 minutes on the clock we're going to be true to that and in a minute we're going to be joined by the great carter braxton worth of worth charting today's episode is brought to you by fact financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow and of course open exchange Dan because they manage the virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world I will tell you given all that's going on this meeting matters it does matter guy Diamond. if you've been watching these
1: meetings we call them market calls mkd call over the last few months you've made a lot of market calls and a couple of them I was wondering, just in your old age, if you were just gravitating to nice round numbers or so, you were saying that the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield would go to 2%, but you did think it would come back after it got there. You were also saying that gold would get to 2000, that's a nice round number. That was the prior high-ish from 2020. And then you were also saying that crude oil was gonna blow through 100 and probably go to 120. Guy Nostradamus Adami, I probably could have done the Nostradamus and Adami here, Part of that call really didn't have to do with some surprise invasion of Ukraine by Russia. You thought we were kind of going there anyway, and this has just kind of put a lot of uh, lighter fluid on the
0: fire here. I think it sped up the process. Obviously, you know, again, we say this all the time. I mean, we don't want this to happen. We'd all be thrilled if this were somehow magically yeah. stopped. But, I mean, we try to look at things through the, through the lens Of the market, and clearly what's transpired over the last couple of weeks in the region you're talking about has exacerbated this move, right? And then I think that sped up the the entire process. It was headed there anyway, in my opinion. I think the fundamentals have been in place for a while. And, you know, as much as we should lead with the market, I think you got to lead with crude oil today because that's on top of mind, and it's on top of mind for good reason. We look at this chart, a great fact set chart, Dan, and this to me, and you're going to talk about it, so I don't want to steal your thunder. But this is sort of, to me, looks like an exhaustion of a move to the upside. We will see over the next week or so if that's the case. But it certainly looks that way to me.
1: Yeah, you know, what's interesting, and, and again, you know, many market participants have not traded through live wars, you know, I mean, we, you know, you and I have been around a, a while, I was not trading, and, you know, early in the Gulf War, and some of the wars that we've been involved in, they've really felt out of sight, out of mind, and the big macro moment, at least from a geopolitical standpoint, that most market participants can remember 9-11, you know, and, and so this is really something that's very different, because we are seeing just the further pressure on supply chains that were already massively disrupted from prior to that, like prior to the pandemic. I mean, the trade war really started to kind of put that stuff in place a little bit. And so, you know, here we are. You know, the Fed is meant to battle inflation. That's what they've told us they're doing over the last few months. But their playbook, their crisis playbook in times like this normally would get much easier with their monetary policy. Right. guy? And they can't do that. So I do think keep an eye on this crude. It was already starting to work up ahead of steam as you had been calling for a hundred dollar oil. But then when you throw this kind of headline on there, that's when you have this sort of parabolic move. Today will be really interesting purely from a technical standpoint. It opened higher, went straight to 130. This is WTI. Now is below the opening print. And if it were to close, let's say down in the day, there's a whole host of different formations or intraday patterns that some people like to say. But that might be, like you said, that exhaustion chop. But zooming out, talk to me, Guy, about nearly the 20-year chart here, because this is on a log basis. You see what it done take out the negative print what does it mean to you on a
0: 20-year basis yeah obviously we can't back that out i mean but that skews this chart a little bit but it's chart i mean a picture tells a thousand words and the reason why i thought we'd get to sort of 125 or so is for this chart exactly now that peak i think took us to about 150 ish and that was 2007 2008 i didn't think we'd get there i still don't think we're going to get there but you can see technicians start saying you know what this looks a lot like a double top and we'll do the back and fill and by the way I mean, you could absolutely back and fill this thing all the way back down to 75 80 bucks and still be intact in terms of the bull trade. I know that will be somewhat confusing, but it's true. So I think this is the chart you need to focus on. I think Dan brings up a great point to look at the intraday move, look at the amount of volume that's traded on it, look at the extreme high and look at how much we've traded off and let's see how it closes today. But this is a critical chart to look at. and I think this just illustrates all the things we've been talking about for a
1: while. Yeah. And so the knock on effects in the equity markets have been obvious. Right. So think about all the U.S. multinationals where, you know, input costs are really important for them. Right. And they have a rising dollar right now. Rates have gone higher here. I mean, you know, a lot of foreign markets where they were expecting to be reflating at the moment right after the pandemic are now hard hit by what's going on in and around this invasion here. So I do think it, it makes sense. And listen, this is hard stuff. I mean, guy, you and I've been doing this a long time and we've had to piece in some of these geopolitical inputs puts over like many many years and which was one of the reasons why we highlight the fact it is not easy trading through this sort of war you know and again to guy's point we don't like to make light of it there's like pain and suffering a lot of bad things going on here but a lot of people here where it's out of sight out of mind are focused on what does it mean for them higher gas at the pump what does it mean for you know their investments that sort of thing which is really why we have to talk about the S&P 500 right here guy because you know down what 12 or so percent from the highs on the year given everything that we know that's going on in the world, doesn't seem so bad, does it? I mean, we have a chart here, we have a one-year, it broke that 200-day moving average. You see the well-defined downtrend that the SPY is in. I'd say, again, keep an eye on that February 23rd closing low it was about 40 I don't know 422 ish or something like that and the intraday low the next day was about 410 or so but this thing looks like it still has room to the downside
0: no question about it and you highlighted this downtrend that we've been in since effectively November early December and that's the right thing to highlight but we could have just as easily highlighted that uptrend that we've seemingly been in forever and if you were to extend this chart out you would see exactly what I'm talking about it coincides this downtrend again with the Fed reversing course, or at least saying they were going to reverse course in late November. And that's a change. That's a paradigm shift. That's a, Carter will talk about this. It's a directional change in the market. And now this 200-day moving average starts to roll over, starts to go from upwardly sloping to flattening out to negatively sloping. And we could stay below this 200-day for quite some time. And I'll just say this downtrend is exactly right. The lower end of this comes in around that 400 level. We've talked about 4,000 being support. I think the ultimate support in the S&P 500 is 3750. We'll see if we get there, but this is the chart to watch. We are in this formation. We have touched the upper end and I think we're going to make another run at sort of the lower end of this downtrend channel. Yeah, you just mentioned a paradigm shift. I know you can't spell it. You can
1: say it well, Guy. And you talked about late November here. There's a day. Let's pull up the QQQ chart. The NASDAQ 100, the ETF that tracks it. Look at that day in late November. It gapped up to a new all-time high, reversed, closed on the low. And yeah, there were some fits and starts. They were trying to make some new highs. It never did that. The S&P confirmed or made new highs. And the NASDAQ 100 never did. And then you see that precipitous drop as we start in January. You know, Guy, if we were to close right here in the QQQ, it would be down 20%. And, you know, you've already seen the headlines. Europe just closed. We saw DAX closes in bear market. You know, 20% from the highs is kind of that bear market signal. To you and me, that doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot. But what it does do is starting to get the antennas up by some retail investors. When they start seeing things like bear market headlines, they start to maybe move their feet a little bit. And so the NASDAQ underperformance relative to the S&P It's definitely worth noting, and it also leads me to believe, Guy, that we're not done yet. And, you know, think about this. We've been talking about this. We talked about it last week with Carter or two weeks ago. Look at Apple here, you know, showing really good relative strength, down less than 10%. On the year here, $2.5 trillion market cap, throw in Microsoft, throw in Google, throw in Amazon, and you have nearly $8 trillion in market cap that act relatively well to many of the components in the NASDAQ.
0: This chart is an important one. Listen, I think all the charts we try to bring you are important for different reasons, but I think this is important because the this high never validated the high in the S&P 500. Now, you'll say correctly that although we started to change course in late November, you did have some fits and starts. Well, I'll tell you, seasonality had a lot to do with that. Obviously, December being one of those months, and then early January where money flows into the market regardless. But I think that's what you saw there. But now we're starting to see exactly what should be happening. And again, you'll note the 200-day moving average starting to flatten out, seemingly turning to the downside People will say, well, how long can we stay below it? Well, look at how long we stayed above it in a meaningful way. I think that's how long we can stay below it. And again, that horizontal green line is exactly right. If we were to give up Apple, for example, which is held in there extraordinarily well, and you've heard Carter say, you think that's going to roll over. If Apple gives up the ghost here, stands a reason that this chart's going to give it up as well, Dan.
1: Well, right. And if you look at the other MAGA names, if you look at the Microsoft and you look at Amazon, you look at Google, they're all kind of giving it up today. And Amazon is getting a little sloppy here too, mm-hmm. guys, down like four and a quarter percent or so. And I think the closing low from the intraday low in January was about 2,700. So keep an eye on that. We're not far off of that. And then when you look at Google, which had a great quarter, right, when they reported in late January, January, gave good guidance. The stock made a brief new all-time high and has given all of that back. and It's down 3% on the day. So that's why I think it's really important to keep an eye on those big names. And I'll tell you the last point why we want to keep an eye on those big names. Because the smaller names, the ones that were trading on crazy multiples to sales that were expected to be this new dawn of this new tech utopia we're going to be in, are down a lot. And they keep on getting smushed. Look at this Shopify chart. It's down nearly 70% guy from its late November highs. That is Truly astounding, and I just drew a couple simple lines. The the, the one of the thousand, okay, when the stock went from seventeen fifty to a thousand it was down like forty percent, and now it's gone from a thousand to like five fifty or so. Well, that's another forty percent, and you do the math from five seventy if it were to go down to four hundred. Where I just don't see any support here. So how do you make any like? Like this is a great company, right? And they have a great product and they have a great service and they're enabling a lot of like e-commerce to come online and they won the pandemic for all intents and purposes. What do you do with a stock like this guy?
0: Well, now you have to wait. I mean, if you've been in it and haven't sold it yet, you have to say to yourself, all right, what do I do now? And the answer is you got to wait and you got to wait for those April of 2020 lows to kick in. And unfortunately, Dan, I think that's where we're going. We're going to do a round trip to where we were, when the pandemic started to where we are now. And it makes a lot of sense. And you said it correctly. It's not a bad company. It's got nothing to do with the company. I mean, this is not Shopify's fault. I mean, the fact that it traded almost $1,800 late last year has nothing to do with the company. I'm sure they sat around scratching their heads as well saying, how is this possible? Now reality is taking hold and people are focused on valuations for the first time. Thankfully, Thankfully, people are focused on valuations because it's going to flush a lot of things out of the system. But to answer your question, I think we round trip this entire thing, Dan. You know, there's you know somebody who doesn't give a crap about
1: valuations. It's my main man, Carter Braxton Worth from Worth Charting, because he calls them funny metals guy, Adami. Hey, Carter, how are you, man? You
2: know, I got stuck in the Q and K's world for <laughs> two years. I was yeah. 24 and I Man, there's a huge error rate in charts, but it's nothing compared to guys playing around with their stupid models and their spreadsheets. That's really bad. So no, well, anyway, that's exactly, that's no ex- ex- no,
0: listen, no, you're exactly right. And the charts, listen, your charts, if people were just to look at the work you do, it's extraordinary how accurate you've been over these years and you continue to be. And you brought something pretty cool with you, but you heard Dan and I just chatting about basically the Qs, the S&P, we talked about crude, does that look like we've exhausted ourselves? I mean, we had that chart earlier. I'm not bringing it back, but that looks like sort of a blow off top to me. Thoughts on that quickly.
2: Right. I mean, the crude thing is obviously the subject of the day. To, to go from $95 a barrel to almost $130, $125 in five sessions is extraordinary. A couple of things. One, commodities are generally mean reverting, whether it was the spike in lumber, as you know, or you get a blight in orange juice or a freeze, or Here we have wheat because of Ukraine. You can replace them, except for gold. <laughs> and so this stuff is mean reverting. Two, we have an analog from once before. It was in May of 2008, a prominent firm, Goldman Sachs, crude was at 120 30 a barrel and started calling for 200 It got to 147 and it collapsed. We have now a very prominent firm, J.P. Morgan, calling for $185 a barrel it's not their fault. We've all been that guy. We've all been that woman. But sometimes you get really hot and excited just before it all comes apart. Mm -hmm. So just to put in context, we know that Russia accounts for 10% of global output of oil, and yet oil is up 30, 40% in five sessions. That's my thought.
1: Yeah, well, it's also, you heard us talking a little bit before, Carter, is that, you know, we've had very few instances where these situations have to do with the actual producers. Obviously, there's been dust-ups in the Middle East, and that's something that has caused some concern, but they seem to be just little dust-ups here. You know, listen, it's a nasty environment out there, and there's very little, like if I'm looking at my fact set board, and I have a few hundred stocks on my main page here, and I don't see many of them acting particularly well on a near-term basis and even on a long-term basis here. So I'm curious, Curious, you know, when you think about market periods like this, how do you think about being defensive? I know that you brought some charts with some sectors that you want to kind of focus on here. And I know that, you know, a lot of people run to utilities or staples, that sort of thing. But you want to be a bit more nuanced looking at these groups.
2: Right. So, I mean, the playbooks, uh, whether it's an actual playbook that someone handed you in school or business school or one acquired on their own, does say that you go larger cap in times of stress, you go higher quality in terms of balance sheet, and in terms of lower beta, in terms of the line of business, staples, healthcare, utilities, telco, classic names. And yet, what I thought we might do today is talk about the ultimate safety trade, which is, of course, a monopoly. And while monopolies are essentially banned or not legal, if you will, you want to be in a monopoly like business, something that's close, what Warren Buffett referred to as having a big moat around. And so it's why many people, the Mars family, don't sell their candy bits. They keep making M&Ms for themselves and for the rest of us, because that's the ultimate thing. You control everything. And so we do have some charts here. And I thought we'd talk about that concept of the ultimate defense in markets, which is looking for monopoly-like stocks, monopoly-like groups, duopolies. Well,
0: no, I'm, I'm just going to stop you real quick. It's interesting. I'm glad you mentioned the railroad index and managed care. They're the same chart effectively. But you know, I was just looking around today before we even started talking. And CSX, prior to everything sort of melting down, was making a new all-time high today. And that speaks to exactly what you just said about companies having that power and maintaining it and holding on to it. I mean, that that exemplifies it in a nutshell, Carter Braxton. It,
2: it really does. So if you think about it, why would these two, and this is a, a five-year chart, right? Why would the S&P 500 Railroad Index, it's an actual uh, sub-industry group as managed by Standard & Poor's or constructed by them with only the three big railroads in it, right? CSX, UNP, and Norfolk Southern. Why would that be identical to the managed care, which now is getting into United Healthcare and, and Cigna and Humana and that type of thing? But the point is, they have no competition. They're not monopolies, but they're duopolies or triopolies, if that's a word, meaning where you just have a couple of players. Because one, we can never start a new railroad. You can't acquire the land. You can't lay the track. And who's going to, where are you going to have the Carter Worth uh, managed care? I'm going to be insuring your health care. No, they're big companies. And so look at those two charts. And here's for fun. Look at this next one. Let's add in the S&P. So there's the S&P, which not only has lagged them, in its totality, but is starting to roll over while they are not only not only rolling over, they're going higher. So if you just go back and forth, those two on their own, and then take away the s put it back, take it away, put it back. I mean, that's shocking in and of itself. Now, let's do this same comparative chart longer term, do it for 20 years. So take a look at this next one. And this is, I mean, now you're starting to really wonder. So you've got railroads, which again, duopoly, one of three of them. You've got managed care, identical performance on a 20-year basis versus the S&P way down there at the bottom. And now for fun, I thought we'd add the really defensive sector, so-called. So if we go to the next chart, you're going to see, you can't even, but you can read it. You can't even see the lines, of course, down on the bottom, but look at what they are. The white is the consumer staples. So that's Colgate, Procter, Coke, Clorox, and then utilities way down there. So the ultimate defense, they lag the market, yes, but look what they're doing compared to things that are monopoly-like. All right, let's go at this a different way. Now look at the next chart. Take away the winners. So here are those three losers, but just on their own. It's the S&P leading, and then you've got, right, staples underneath and bringing up the rear utilities. Now let's put in the winners. And it really makes you wonder if you put, I mean, (laughs) Mm -hmm. hmm, yeah. So, and they're, and they're all performing now in a moment of crisis.
0: It's interesting, Carter. I mean, utilities make sense to me in terms of the lag. I think that's you, people put those on as some sort of embedded hedge, I guess, but how does this rectify itself? Does it rectify itself with railroads and managed care coming back to some sort of mean reversion or does this continue on its merry way?
2: Yeah, I mean, you could do this with Microsoft, of course, and it would make even the managed care and railroads look like pikers down at the bottom. The way they, in turn, make the S and P look so feeble. But the point is, they're GARP, if you will. But they do have this very defensive characteristic. And here's the other thing: to some extent, I mean, certainly managed care—it's domestic. So managed care stocks don't care about currencies. They don't care about Putin. They don't care about oil. And that's very. And then. Domestic railroads, which is what they are, they're hauling stuff around the country, have that to some extent as well.
1: So, Carter, we've been in this earnings period for the last, you know, month and a half or so. And we've seen some just massive gaps. And, you know, obviously, you know, Guy used that term paradigm shift. You hear new volatility regime. That's clearly been the case in twenty twenty-two, especially as rates have been rising here. You know, there's plenty of instances where we've seen just, you know investors shooting first, asking questions later. But we've also seen plenty of instances. We just talked about crude oil, which is a totally different animal, but in the single stock space where when a company has something good to say, I mean, literally parabolic moves. Last week, we saw that in Kroger, which fits into your staples sort of category. We have a quick chart of that right now. In a market like this, do you still think playing for breakouts with stories that make sense from people who are looking at it from a fundamental standpoint, does it make sense to continue to play for these sorts of? moves. We saw it in Lockheed Martin last week, you know, when we saw that Germany said that they were going to move to spend 2% of their GDP for defense spending on market call last week. I had a bit of a trade there using options to define my risk. That was a little too early. I think the stock was trading around 445 today. I think it traded as high as 480. So that's still there. But there seems to be interest in these sorts of stories. Talk to me about Kroger and you came with another name that you think could maybe do have a similar inflection point.
2: Right. So what's important about what you said is that does one continue to play for breakouts? I mean, look at that setup. Now, there's always the the, the cynic would say, well, see, that's because of this or Lockheed Martin because of or we broke out because. But the pattern set up identically before the news comes out. Is this a cup and handle that you've got here? Sure it is. Is it a breakout from well-defined top? Yes, it is. And that's the beauty of this process, which is still even now so debated in many quarters ridiculed. It's a textbook breakout. The real nuanced thing is, if and as you get the breakout, what do you do? I would take my profits and grow.
0: I think we have a chart of Costco as well we want to sort of throw up because this looks like, and this reminds me of the gold chart in a lot of ways, not that they have anything to do with one another. I understand. I bring it up because we're in this pennant formation, Carter. That pennant obviously continues to narrow and this has to obviously, so one way or another, it's going to relieve itself, whether the upside or the downside. I happen to think it's be on the upside for the names, for the reasons you gave earlier in terms of companies with dominating platforms. I think Costco is one of them.
2: Oh, for sure. Yes. You know, and I always thought, just not independent of the chart, you know, Buffett used to have a stake in this. And I always thought at some point, this would be one he would pull in-house, right? It's big. It would take up a lot of cash but I don't believe that it's ever gonna happen. Either way, the chart looks good. And to your point, it does have to get resolved and now you make your bets. My bet would be
1: up. So, so Carter, how, how do you make... So look at this, and you and I have been doing this, and Guy and I have been doing this with you for you know, 12, 13 years or so. You and I started doing options action, I think, back in 2010. I know you've been doing Fast Money, maybe as long, popping in as long as Guy has been there. I will often hear you say that this is a very constructive chart. Might we see a little bit of back and fill? Like You're not... Always playing for that immediate breakout when it hits to a downtrend line or something like that. You might start working into a position in a chart like this that's making this sort of triangle pattern.
2: Well, that's right. I mean, you can't. I mean, if we could get the timing perfectly, of course, then we'd acquire all the money, right? right. And as I like <laughs> to say, so my valet George George Soros would take my couplings out at night. My driver Warren Warren Buffett <laughs> would move me around the city. I mean, we know that it's hard to get the timing right, but you've got to play your charts. Go with the rules and the yeah. rules would argue here. One, we have impressive relative strength.
0: That's I have a question from one of our viewers, William Chaska. Yes, yeah, should we be selling oil equities now? So the answer to that question is simple one. I think yes, for the yeah. reasons that we cited at the top of the show. Now I will say, William, I don't think this oil move is over in the longer term. In the shorter term, you could see something as crazy as you've seen to the upside, you could see the downside. So If you have the wherewithal to probably sell some of the things you've enjoyed over the last couple of weeks, month, whatever it is, looking to get in at a lower level, I think that's the right course of action. I think Dan and Carter would agree with me on that one, fellas.
1: Yeah. Hey, Carter, what, what's your take on XLE and OIH without having the charts up there? Just in general, you know, XLE was trading and we know that Chevron and Exxon make up what, 40 some percent, mm-hmm. was trading 45 at the, or excuse me, 55 on the first day of this year It had a big day, traded as high today as about 77 and a half. Again, we're going to watch for that big reversal pattern. Would you be looking to take profits also in the XLE and maybe even in the oil service names, which are outperforming pretty solidly today?
2: yes and and one thing to consider is if you just look at a ratio chart simply the XLE to the spy or the actual s&p 500 energy sector to the s&p and and include 150 day moving on average on that ratio we are now trading higher above the 150 than at any point in history including the spike in 2008.
1: yeah Okay. That's a great one. Thanks, William, for A, watching and B, thrown in that question. All right. Let's talk about one last topic before we get out of here. You know, listen, I, and I've said this on Market Call and on our podcast on the tape many times, you know, I was brought up in the markets in the late nineties, one of these kind of dot-com bubble boys and really enjoyed kind of buying the dips and selling the rips. And it was a good market to do that in the late nineties. And then I got really scarred by just the kind of the bear market in 000, 1. And I was tell you that O2 was probably the worst year of those three years, if you guys remember, especially if you're focused on tech, because one of the big themes was that there was no low low enough. You know what I mean? There might have been decent things, green shoots in these companies, some of these dot-com names, the ones that were surviving. Some of them raised a bunch of cash at the top, so their balance sheets were okay here. But the charts, Carter, kept on getting worse and worse and worse and you could try picking a bottom on one day, but 10 days later it could be down another ten percent or something like that. And I look at some of the price action and some of these names that were clearly like the poster children for, you know this bull market during the pandemic block or square, SQ is one of them here. And you look at this move and you saw what happened. I mean, look where this stock was trading in November. It was trading near $275. Here we are, you know, on either side of 100 bucks here. It had that huge gap after earnings kept on going. I think off the lows, Carter, the day of its earnings, I think it was up like 60% in the three days after. And here it is filling in that gap and working its way back to that downtrend over the last few months and then if we zoom out real quickly and you can tell look at this chart that breakout okay from the prior high from 2019 at 100 bucks and then made that move to 275 all the way back down here to 100 filling in that gap help us make some sense of this because i know there's a lot of investors who still like the story could never figure out what the value should be or the valuation should be what are the charts telling you here
2: right so sticking with this long-term one because that's the one that really matters Support is not a moment in time. For instance, that green line is drawn, and there's nothing wrong with the green line, from the tops of September, right, of 2020. Now, I'm sorry, 19. Is that one day in time? Is that support? It is not a plywood board. It's not a concrete floor. It's a mattress. You sink into it. So Square touched. It's into support, and now it's trying to find support. It's time and price, time and price. My hunch is that if you have the time frame and you can wait it out, that purchases made here will be good money. Now, day to day with a tape like this, one could say, all right, yeah, but should you own anything? Well, that's a whole different story. And probably, and I would invoke this phrase, sometimes there is nothing to be lost by postponing all new
0: buying. It's going to be a fascinating rest of the day. I mean, I could foresee one of these mind numbing rallies in the SP 500 into the close. Again, not to suggest we're out of the woods. I don't think that at all. But so many weird things are happening today. Twos, tens, we didn't even talk about Carterworth and Dan Nathan. I'm sure it'll come up on a show later this week. But a lot of volatility and a lot of things leads me to believe that, you know, we talk about counter trend rallies. We might be on the verge of one here. And I go back to that question that was asked about getting out of some energy names. This is. This move in the commodity, underlying commodity, is what you've been waiting for. If, in fact, it happens, you've been given that gift, I think it's right to take money off the table. But, you know, this is why we do these shows, hopefully... That helped answer your question, Carter. Obviously, thanks for joining us. I love those charts. I mean, again, look at the railroads today. Fascinating individual names. Dan, as always, you're a stud. That's today's market call. I said 30 minutes on the screws. Well, guess what, folks? It is. I want to thank our sponsors, Set and Open Exchange. If you like what you saw, and we hope you did, tune in again tomorrow at 1 p.m., folks. We are Audi 4,000. I know it's five. See you later. <laughs> See you.